Hello everyone, this is Art Gelwicks, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Being Productive. Now each episode we explore concepts, techniques, and tools that will help you work less and accomplish more. Now since we're trying to be efficient as well as effective, let's go ahead and get started. Over the past year or so, I've been doing a lot of self-exploration, self-discovery, self-awareness around the recognition that I probably do have ADHD to some degree. And in doing this kind of self-analysis, it's been helpful to look at what other people have voiced as challenges they have and see how they echo within my own world. Uh, Not that I'm trying to assign a label to anything, not that I'm trying to declare I'm something, but it's more just to help me understand where some of my challenges may come from and how I might be able to address them. And one of the terms I've come across within the ADHD space is this concept of doom piles or doom boxes. And to give it not exactly the best definition, but the one that works within my head, is that a doom pile or doom pile or a doom box is basically a pile of stuff that you're not put, truly putting away into a place. Uh, we've all heard the old saying, you know, a, a thing in its place and, and a place for everything. Um, these doom piles and these doom boxes don't fit into that category. They wind up being this accumulation of stuff in a spot that you may or may not eventually go back to and deal with. Uh, I have lots of those. I admit that I have a tendency to do this. For a couple of reasons that I've found as I've looked at how I behave with this type of work or this type of activity. One, I found that most of the time, these doom piles that I'll deal with, I can actually visually inventory at any given time what's there. I have a sense as to what's wound up in that pile. And I used to, not totally ironically, refer to these as a chronological filing system. And the depth in the pile was determined by how long ago it got put in that pile because those piles typically weren't deconstructed. So this idea of a doom pile or a doom box winds up being this accumulation of stuff. Now, physical makes it challenging because again, it's a pile and it's clutter and it's just stuff sitting around. I found that it also comes partially from the problem that when I put things in drawers and boxes, very quickly, I just don't recall what's in a given drawer or a box unless it's externally labeled, unless it has some sort of transference from the content to the outside for me to be able to say, oh, that's what's in there. Now, the way I found I could combat that would be to keep only say one or two things in a given location. If it's a drawer, let's say it's a tool drawer in my workshop, maybe it's only just wrenches in that drawer, but it could still be a lot of different things. And I couldn't, I can't recall, do I have this wrench or that wrench or this other thing? And it becomes a challenge. Physical is a difficulty. Digital is worse though. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea of digital doom piles and how I have them, how I deal with them, what I deal or what I use to deal with them, and ultimately 
give you some suggestions as to ways you might be able to tackle this as well. I'm not going to be able to say that this is the, you know, flip a switch and all these problems go away because that's not how this works. I will be able to give you some suggestions though, based on the way I work. So what's the equivalent of a digital doom pile as we compare to the physical one that I just described? Well, the best example I can give you off the top of my head, unfortunately, in a tool like Microsoft Windows, is your desktop. And the reason why I say that is, is because we've all seen, those of us who work with a, a Windows-based or that type of desktop system, we've all seen people that when you look at the desktop on their computer, it is just covered in files and shortcuts and links and icons. It's just looks like a checkerboard. That to me is a digital doom pile. Why? Because all of that stuff out on the desktop is in that person's line of view and therefore in their thought process. The same result can happen as you're working with material. And I'll use my own myself for as my example. I use a tool called Canva all the time. And Canva is a great video or graphic editing tool. So when I'll create a bunch of different files, I may need to use them for social media publishing or putting into a website, whatever their ultimate destination is. As I pull those down, because they're still in a working mode, I'll often throw them on the desktop. And then I go to the application, let's say Squarespace that I'm going to upload them to, and I pull them from the desktop up to Squarespace. Well, now is when I get into the challenge. Because I've created them, because I've put them where they ultimately are supposed to go, what do I do with the ones that were on my desktop? Do I need to keep them? Should I keep them? I mean, technically, I could always go up to Canva at any time and download new copies, and that's probably the best way to handle it. But I have these files, and there's this little bit in the back of my mind that says, oh, no, 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 you created that file. You shouldn't throw it away because you might need it. And that's how we get, in the physical world, junk drawers. You get this stuff of, well, I'm going to hold on to that thing because I might need it. I'm going to hold on to that twist tie because I might need it. I'm going to hold on to that stack of paper clips because I might need them. When we look at it from a digital perspective, it's just as easy to accumulate that stuff. The downside of doing that is it is so easy to accumulate so much of that stuff. When you're looking at a basic storage, uh, cloud-based storage, for example, maybe you have a gig of online storage. A gig is still a lot of files. If it's a terabyte or multiple terabytes, which is not expensive to do, you're talking a massive amount of material that you can accumulate. Now, the premise is, well, if I have these things, let's say they're on my desktop, I should put them into some sort of a storage structure so that then I can recall them later. That would be the best thing to do. And in a perfect world, I would agree with you completely. Absolutely, that would be the best thing to do. But it's not as easy as it sounds. There's a definite challenge to being able to take and create a structure to hold all of this digital content all of these assets, all of these files, these downloads, these PDFs, and organize them in a way that even though you may not need them for six months, 
a year, two years, you're still able to recall them quickly and efficiently. In most file management systems, there's two, two spheres of thought. There's one where you use the natural folder architecture that we're so used to from file cabinets and such that's transferred into the file management system to organize the digital assets that you have, creating parent folders and subfolders and subfolders and so on and so forth. The other side is to use a concept called metadata. And metadata allows you to apply tags or categorization to the file itself so that then you can organize based on those tags. So for example, you can have the equivalent of a big pool of let's say graphic assets that have all been tagged for particular projects and say, just give me all the assets that have this project's tag. It's a great way to do it. It does require a lot of work. And we're gonna talk a bit about what work is involved in this. But let's focus on that hierarchical folder structure first. That's the most common one. The majority of applications do that. They provide that capability of, fold, of a nested folder structure. And it's also the one that most people are most comfortable with because it is the most familiar. We've all dealt with it. Now, even the metaphor that you'll see, the visual cue, is often a manila folder, just to make sure that you have that connection to what ultimately this is going to be. It doesn't change, however, though, that within every folder, you have to organize as well. And it becomes important to think through, how is this structure going to work? How am I going to recall it? And is it truly going to be efficient for me in the long term? In a lot of cases, it can. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of using this kind of hierarchical structure in archival systems. So if you're going to go through and you're going to have an archive system for all your old projects. It makes sense to me to have this hierarchical system because you don't need that sudden rapid access to the content. You don't need to be able to query it and say, give me all of this type of asset across all of these folders. It's, it's a less frequent occurrence than it would be on active work and active projects. The downside is, is this nested architecture that we get into. It's very easy to wind up with seven, eight, 10, 12 layers deep just to get to where a file is, to figure out where it is. And now, unless it's, you're consistent in how you're creating these structures, it becomes very difficult to locate things on a consistent basis. This is where search comes into play. Search will often offset the downsides of a tagging-based system or a hierarchical system because search really doesn't care. Search is looking at this entire pool of information and allowing you to apply a textual reference to it that recalls the items regardless of where they are. Search can become a crutch when it comes to organization. And that's one of the things that I wanna talk about a little bit here. If you've become dependent on using search to locate the assets that you have within your storage system, that's fine as long as you play by the rules of search. And here's what I mean. Many times search will be dependent on how files are named. And 
as I mentioned, if you are going to be dependent on search for your recall, you must play by its rules, which means that you must be consistent and diligent and detailed in your file naming conventions. Define a standard for how your files are named so that way when you go back to search for something, you know the context and syntax of that search is going to be present when the engine goes to look for those files for you. Because the worst thing you can have is not too many results, not too few, but inconsistent results where you put a file in and you put multiple files in and they may be related to each other, but if the naming is not consistent, you don't get the same results back depending on how you frame your search. So we don't want to do that. Being consistent in that structure is really critical. Now, I encourage people if they're going to be very search heavy, and a lot of people like that structure, to utilize a tool, utilize some sort of a storage system that also provides the ability to provide textual search within files and assets. So for example, if you're using Google Drive or OneDrive, they have the ability to search within files, looking for text and looking for reference pieces to be able to be identified as part of the search result. That is extremely useful because now you've taken what would be normally just limited to the file name and you've expanded the search scope and the information available to the search engine to the entire content of that particular asset, especially if it's documents. Now, if it's graphics, that's a little bit different. Depending on the system, uh, OneDrive's a good example of it, or if you're using OneNote, for example, for your file storage, which I don't recommend, but you can do, uh, it will use optical character recognition to read visual assets as well. So it will look for text within images and pull that back as part of your search result. That can be really useful too. But you always have to remember, understand what the limitations are of your search engine. I say it all the time and I will always continue to say it, learn your tool. If you're gonna use Google Drive, learn what its search can find and learn what its search can't find. If you're gonna use OneDrive, same thing. If you're gonna use Dropbox, same thing. Go through and know what it can find and what it can't and make sure that the information that you need to be able to recall those items fits within its scope of search capability. That's critical if you're gonna count on search. This is also the reason why I say it's really useful to combine hierarchical structures and search when you're dealing with archives. Because more often than not, search will return the names of your hierarchical structure the same way it will return based on the file names, the same way it will return based on the content of the files. So even if the content of your file isn't searchable and your file name isn't dead on, if you've done your diligence and created folder structures that are consistently named, they should be able to be identified by your search tool as well. One of the biggest benefits that I've put into my own systems related to specifically managing digital assets within this doom pile, doom box structure is recognizing why I'm throwing stuff into a pile or onto the desktop in the first place. And that goes back to the very beginning where if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. 
I literally forget that it exists. By taking advantage of the fact in digital space that you don't have to have multiple copies of a thing, but you can have links to a thing, connections to it without duplication, that gives you the opportunity to create virtual sets of that information. And here's what I mean. If I'm working on a project and I know there's a bunch of graphic assets that I need to work with and there's some textual assets I need to work with and there's maybe an outline structure as to something I'm going to record, maybe a video, those are all different things. And I have two ways to organize them. I can either put them all in a project folder so that they're all together and they're referenceable, or I can put them in locations based on the type of thing they are. So for example, all the videos go together, all the scripts go together, all the thumbnails go together and so on. There are two different ways to do this and neither one is necessarily better than the other, but each one creates a problem for the other. If they're all within the project, it becomes very difficult for me to find all my video files because they're all segmented by project. If they're all in the video section, I now have to make sure that I create a sub architecture within that video section to organize them by project. Well, now I have project folders all over the place. How do I manage this? By using a tool, say for example, like Notion, which I use all the time, and creating dashboards, workspaces, collectible areas that I can put links to the very various assets I need, I can create the equivalent of virtual project spaces and still maintain the storage architecture I need on the assets themselves. I have both. Why is this such an upside? Because at the end of the day, if I decide I don't need that project workspace anymore, Let's say, for example, it was just a one-off project and I'm not going to reference it anymore. It was just basically the equivalent of a whiteboard. I can delete that project workspace. All of the assets and all the other materials live where they're supposed to live. They follow the rules of that archival structure. And yet I still have a place where I can go work with them as I need to. I find it's a really useful compromise between digging through a file structure and having everything sitting on the desktop. Let's take the idea of project workspaces even a step further, because it doesn't have to be tied just to a specific project. Because again, I use Notion, but you can do this in other tools. I'm just going to use Notion as my example for this. Because I use Notion for my task management as well, every task can have the project workspace that it's related to connected to the task or vice versa. I can have all the tasks for a project live within that project workspace or truly what I do because I have one master task list for everything. It's a filtered view from that master task list into the project workspace along with all the links for the assets that are going along with that project. Now that sounds like it's a lot of overhead to create and it does honestly take a little bit of time to get all that set up. But the amount of time I save, instead of having to dig things out or jump to this spot or jump to this other spot, in having one working space for that particular activity that's going on is absolutely worth the effort. 
and you can standardize some of those structures. Whatever tool you're using, if it's Evernote or OneNote or Notion or Nosebee or doesn't really matter, whatever tool that you're using, if you can create templates for those types of work structures, you can find that it's really streamlining your productivity and getting things accomplished. Let, uh, let me give you another practical example. One of the things I do a lot is, again, create social media posts. So when I go through to create a social media post, I'll have basic information that needs to go into the post. I also have the schedule as to when the post needs to be published out and what platforms it needs to go on and any other specifics. Well, I have a template within Notion that I use and that template doesn't actually have the assets, but it has links to where the assets are stored. It has a place for me to put in the script or the basic notes for that particular social media post, the requirements. It has property fields to indicate when this needs to be published and where it should be published. And ultimately, I go back and track within 24 hours and 48 and 72 what's been the response rate to that particular thing. All of that within a template means that I don't have to think about doing it again. And when I'm done, I can go back and say, okay, how did that work? Can I improve that template? Can I streamline it? This really doesn't help organize the doom piles, but what it does do is it helps me adhere to a structure. If within that template, I have a link to the client's asset folder for 2023 for social media, I don't have to go find it. I know that link is there and I know reminder to future art, that's where those assets are supposed to go. I've made that decision in the past and been able to carry it forward using these structures that I'm putting in place. That's the way to really try to combat this doom pile mindset. So when you get to this point where you're feeling comfortable with, hey, I've got structures here, I've been able to create structures in whatever tool I'm using to store these digital assets. And I've been able to create workspaces to make them efficient as I'm working with them. Now you have to make that conscious decision to go back and clean up the piles that exist. That's hard. It's really hard because it's a trap. That's the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole that you can get into because as soon as you start to look at those old assets, you start to go, well, wait a minute, I might need to keep that one and that could be useful and I wonder where I should put that other one. And it's going to be an exercise. And a lot of people hit the wall, I myself included, of not wanting to delete assets. You figure you might need it for some reason. Well, luckily, digital assets are small in weight or light in weight rather. They don't take up a lot of space for the most part, unless it's video assets, which can just chew up a, a massive amount of space. My recommendation is instead of deleting, if you're not sure you want to delete something, create folders. I call them dead archives or dead folders. Create a dead folder inside the master folder that you have and move those assets that are likely to be deleted into that dead folder. Now, the important thing is when you do that, if you think you're going to want to possibly at some point in the future, delete it, edit the file name with the date you moved it into the dead folder. 
Now, some people will say, well, wait, couldn't you use like the modified date or last access? Not all systems have that. But if you just put that into the file name, you can then start looking through and say, yeah, you know, I haven't touched that thing in two years. I can just go ahead and delete it. It's a way of giving yourself an out to know when something has truly expired and is no longer useful. Um, again, with a lot of digital assets, you may decide that, you know what, I just don't want to keep it or I do want to keep it. The other thing to look at also is offline storage, archival storage, truly archival flash drives, for example. If you think you're going to have to hold on to something, but you don't want it tying up cloud space, you can always move it to an offline storage. Uh, keep in mind, though, that's not solving the issue of cleaning up. That's not solving the issue of organization and rev relevance. And moving things to an offline mode means that you still have to have some way to know what's in that offline storage. The worst part is, is that moves it away from your search capability because it's off, it's offline. It's out, it's unavailable. So how do you then take advantage of that? Well, you really can't. You have to create secondary indexes that allows you to, to keep track of what's now offline. So give yourself the opportunity to get rid of things you don't need. Purge things, zip things, move them to archives. Uh, reorganize them, but don't get into the habit of allowing yourself just to create digital doom piles and then waste a lot of time having to dig through them when you're looking to work on things. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Being Productive and found it useful. Remember to like, subscribe, and share with others if you did. To explore this topic further or to start taking your own productivity to new heights, visit gelwickstech.com today to schedule your free initial consultation to discuss your needs. I'm your host, Art Gelwicks, and thanks again for listening to Being Productive.